The Marching Roundtable is proud to be an official media partner of Drum Corps International. The Marching Roundtable presents three podcast conversations honoring Robert W. Smith, the renowned composer and educator. On this first conversation, we hear from Paris Foreman, Dr. Greg Basham, and Trey Harris. I will say that's been one of the, um, it's been a weird experience for me for this last week because I'm so like, I'm so terrified of anything, like making anything about me. Like I don't, yep. this is, this is all supposed to be about him, but at the same time, I understand that my story is about him, yep. you know? Um, but it, I was deeply moved by how many people, like I, I knew how close me and Robert were and that was like our little world, but I didn't realize the word association. Like when people, when, when people thought Robert W. Smith, I did not realize how quickly my name came up. Um, sure. I, I had no idea. And that's been very evident over the last week and been very moving. There are absolutely things in my life that I've done and been able to do that I would not have been able to do without his influence and his ability to make you believe that you could do it. When everything else might be telling you that you can't, that you could do it. And then because he had a way of looking into your soul and talking to you. You did not want to disappoint him. For me, that's kind of how I think of Robert is he was one of the good guys and didn't have to be if he didn't want to, but he always chose that side and he made people feel invincible. Um, and made them feel like that they mattered and made them feel like that they were good enough, even if they've never written drill before and they're now got two days to make something i mean he just he he had that ability to empower people and that's that's the way i remember him we hope you'll look for the two other podcasts part two a conversation with michael rayford and part three a conversation with john fulton john campese and howard weinstein hey everybody it's tim at the marching round table i am here with three wonderful gentlemen we're here to pay tribute to robert w smith so with us tonight dr greg basham greg how are you Doing, doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Thank you very much. Also with us, Trey Harris is here. Trey, how are you? I'm uh, doing great. Honored to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming out of a band rehearsal and then into a booster meeting and then into this recording. So I really appreciate life of a band director, of course, this time of year. Paris Foreman is with us. Paris, how are you doing, sir? Very well. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be a part of this. Absolutely. So I would like to start. Uh, Greg, I'll start with you. I just want everybody to, each of you, to sort of explain um when you first met Robert or what your first collaboration was and just sort of set up the groundwork for how long you knew him and that kind of thing. So for me, I think my first exposure to Robert W. Smith, I was probably 16 or 17 years old. Um, um, back at uh, Suncoast was rehearsing at, at this point, I think it was my high school. Um, and, uh, you know, I got to sit on the podium and run the Dr. Beat at that rehearsal for uh, Kevin while Kevin Ford was drum major that year. So, um, you know, and then of course, as a 16 year old, you don't have any concept of, um, the folks that are actually around you. And now looking back in retrospect, you know, um, 30 some odd years later, you know, you got Carl Lowe, um, and Michael Rayford as visual designers. John Campese is writing the drum book and teaching the drum line. Al Murray's there, Frank Williams, John Fulton, and of course, Robert W. Smith. And, um, you know, one of my memories of Robert, I mentioned this to Terry Valentine the other day, is it, it was getting ready to rain and lightning, and so the, the core needed to move inside. Well, Robert picks up a timpani under each arm and carries them across the field. <laughs> so, you know, 
when you talk about larger than life, you know, young, young Robert W. Smith was a bodybuilder. So, you know, and if you can imagine just one timpani under each arm telling everybody, all right, let's go, we're going inside, you know, he's got two timpani, you know, so um, that was my, that's my first, first memory of uh, exposure to Robert. So, and certainly there's a number after that. So that's awesome. Lucky enough to, lucky enough to march with him under drum corps. And then also um, really privileged to have him ask me to be a part of the staff at magic while he was, while he was there. That's great. How about you, Trey? Uh, my first time, uh, of course I knew about his music uh, those type of things, becoming a band director, coming out of college, band director. Uh, Greg and I were actually uh, college roommates. Um, and so uh, Greg was at Magic before I was. And hearing him talk about Robert and even hearing some of the phone calls, um, <laughs> I vividly remember at our house one night, they got on a Magic call. And this was before I was working with Magic. And I heard Greg say something like, Oh, Robert's here. Let me go get a sandwich. I can't be the only one without a sandwich in the in the call tonight, because um, Robert was a, a connoisseur of, of eating and uh, and whatnot. I, I just it's, I don't know why I remember that, but I just I remember him saying, "Hang on, I've got to go get a sandwich. I can't be in a meeting with Robert without a sandwich." Um, but then. Um, after that, uh, going down and working uh, with Magic, uh, meeting him uh, at the first couple of camps, and then uh, working through those next three or four summers, uh, working with him. And uh, just kind of remember, I know we're probably going to talk more as we go through this evening, but, you know, he was he was he had this personality larger than life, but he also had this, like this family thing about, like you could tell right off the bat that he was a genius um, I've always said it, the old the old um, who wants to be a millionaire game. They had that where you could phone a friend, where you needed to have somebody who knew everything about everything. I have always said Robert W. Smith is my phone friend because he knows who won the Super Bowl in 1972. He knows how to change a carburetor. He knows how to make the best Creole you've ever heard. Like he literally knew a, a little bit about everything um but just his uh willingness to be around new people uh on staff i was on staff uh when i came in and not feel like oh you're just one of the techs that that came in and i'm a really smart guy and i write, write great music and i do all these great things i never felt that way around robert ever i mean i felt like that i had been on staff for 10 years at the first couple camps that I went to. And I think that was one of the special things about Robert is um, while he was a superstar in his own right, he did not treat people uh, in that regard. That's great. Paris, let's set up your relationship. Yeah, so uh, my first contact with Robert, I was uh, so... I had wanted to march drum corps ever since I saw the 1989 Phantom Regiment on the PBS broadcast, like on a Sunday morning somewhere. I had no idea what I was watching, but I knew that was cool and I wanted to do it. And uh, fast forward, not much longer later, maybe a year later, I was at a music festival in downtown Orlando at Lake Eola, and a little group everyone here has probably heard of called the Future Corps was performing. 
And at the end of their performance, they were like, yeah, we're called a drum and bugle corps. And if any of you ever want to be in a drum corps, there's one having auditions right now, right over there, pointed at the building. It was the Bahia Shrine Temple right behind us, a block and a half. And I'd already had this conversation with my grandmother that I'd, I'd always wanted to do that. So I turned and I said, can we go? Can we go? So yeah. So walked in. Um, now, the story of how I finally ended up in the Horn Ark is, is a magic legend and kind of long, so I won't do it today, but I did eventually get my way there. And uh, I remember standing in the Ark, and I had only been in band for a year or two at that point. I was only 14. Um, and I had no idea who he was. Didn't know anything about him. I, I, just, I just knew he was the guy that was telling us what to buzz, you know, whatever. But it, even at 14 years old, man, he had, he had this gravity about him. Like, it didn't take long. Like, within a few minutes, I'm like, huh, that guy's somebody. Like, there's something to this dude. Um, and I knew I was going to hang on every word. Um, and I did. And I, I, I wanted to stick to him as long as I could. And that, that as long as I could was as long as he was alive. I, I marched. I stuck in. I was 14. I marched my entire career with Magic. I was fortunate enough to have Trey and Greg as instructors. I actually marched with Greg one year, and then, then they were my instructors after that. Um, and I went. I was going to college at the same college train Greg went to, but then when Robert got the gig at Troy, I transferred immediately. I, was, I went there right there with him. And uh uh, stayed with him for years, teaching uh, horn, teaching baritone sections and brass sections that he, his drum course shows that he wrote. Um, I was his graduate assistant in Troy when I decided to get my master's degree, and uh, we started a publishing company together, which me and Susan and Savannah are going to continue to run uh, now. You know, and so um, my entire life's trajectory was, you know, he was my compass, and I don't mind saying that. You know, Paris brings up an interesting, like, so listening to Trey and Paris talk, you know, I think the, I saw somewhere the other day the word charisma, you know, and so I think that that's one of the things that Robert embodied, but he had a humility at the same time. So, um, and when you, he had this ability, if you were working with him, he could sit like he, if you had something that, if he had something that needed to be done, so as he ran a drum corps or ran a rehearsal or if you were part of something that he's doing, he has this ability to to look at you and talk to you and terrify you. You don't want to let him terrify you from the standpoint of you don't want to let him down, not terrify you like in a mean way, but terrify you in a way that you're like, oh, my God, I don't want to let him down. But at the same time, you leave the conversation feeling like you can do anything, right? Like when he sets you off, you're on your way and you're like, okay, we can do this. Trey Harris, you, you got a pretty good story about teaching seven, eight drill on the fly. Cause right. <laughs> yeah. So that was uh 98, six, uh, 12 seconds. Six, six, six. Yeah. Nine, six, mm -hmm. Yeah. And there was a section in the drill that had not gone the way, I guess Robert wanted it to. And I was just literally a visual tech. Um, and Greg wasn't on the road, or what? Oh, no, that was at every day's. Is that every day's? I had to leave for band camp. Yes. And Robert came in. Uh, he pulled up in his car, um, and you know, as we all know, he he barely he barely put the window down just enough. The, the air condition is blowing his hair back. He's got a sweet tea in his right hand, um, and he he calls me over to the car and says, "Hey, this seven eight section is not working." And I said, yeah, I, I understand that. And he said, I need you to rewrite it. I'll be back in two days. Um, and when I get back, it needs to be on the field and ready to go. And I said, Robert, I don't write drill. Like, I'm 
just got it. Like I just marched around. I'm just like, I don't write drill. He's like, I understand, but I need you to have this done when I get back. And we argued for like 10 minutes. And finally, at the end of it, he looked at me and he said, I understand you don't write drill. You've got two days. Roll the window up and ro- and, and roll down the parking lot. That was the end of the conversation. And who was the drill yep. writer that year that you were subbing in for? Who was that guy? That would be Carl Lowe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No pressure at all. Going to write part of Carl yes. Lowe's visual package because Robert W. Yes. Smith told me I'll be back in two days. Yes. Paris probably didn't even know that whole thing went down. But, like, I mean, I'm sitting there in Haines City in that little uh, – the the staff – I guess we were, like, in a um, – um, double wide trailer back there in the back, like portable, 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 yeah, like portable yeah. classroom. Sitting there going, how in the, I, I won't cuss, but like how, like, I like, like one of the best writers in the world has looked at me and said, "You've got two days to fix this drum corps, who's the top twelve drum corps," and I've never written drill and like. He he has trusted me and told me that this is what's going to happen. I don't know what I'm going to do, um, but we made it happen. And honestly, most of it made it to the field. It, most of the stuff that we taught ended up making it to the end. Um, and now I have a part-time business where I write drill. And <laughs> I don't know if it came out of that, but I, but like the courage to go, I don't know what the crap I'm doing, but this dude told me it needs to be done. He has faith in me, so I've got to get it done. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That was the impact that Robert had on most people. You know, mm-hmm. Greg, Greg was right. Like this, a little bit of this fear of like daddy's coming, <laughs> daddy's coming back, and you better have this done because there, there's no excuses. There's not a we didn't get it done time for yeah. sure. But it was, it was just also this innate ability to make you believe that you could do it. And so when Paris talks about joining, and and Paris, you have to expand on this, but when, so what, one of the things people need to keep in mind is, as Paris talks about joining the drum corps at the age of 14. And so one of the most, I think, amazing things about Paris, and then I think about um, Willie Rizzeri and some of the other soloists that like Magic had, so one of the things that people need to keep in mind is Magic's average age every year was about 15 and a half to 16 years old, okay, every year. The, the average age of that drum corps is 15 and a half to 16. And, you know, Paris played solos for Magic, what, year three on every year, all the solos for no, – I had one rookie year. Yeah. Did you have one your rookie year? I did, that one I didn't get yeah, to see. It wasn't. It wasn't a big deal. Bum, 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 bum. That was it. <laughs> Still. And so, but like, you know, you, and then Willie, you know, like you think about Willie, Willie, Willie will tell you, he's like, I showed up playing third trumpet. And Robert looked at me and went, yeah, you're not going to play third trumpet anymore. Come here. You're going to play mellophone and you're going to play all these souls. And the kid with money in the bank. I don't think I ever heard him crack a note in four years. Do you remember a time? Because you played a lot of solos with him, duets. No, if, 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 if there was ever anything with Willie, it was always like maybe he wasn't doing what Robert wanted stylistically, and all Robert had to do was go down and go and sing it a different way. Well, oh, okay. Yeah. And that was, that was sort of Robert's – he had his own language with us. You know, we, we would re- – I mean, you all saw it. You would be in yeah. horn arcs in the middle of a parking lot somewhere in nowhere, and he'd like, you know, this isn't working, and rewrite entire chunks of show right there on the spot and just and just teach it to us on the, on the fly. 
I'm through there. Yeah. Okay. And I, I can relate to the things both of y'all are saying too. I, I myself in uh, 92 was second baritone and I was having time in my life. I'm out there during the camps and second baritone, we're going. And then the, this one, so I've, I've been members of this one camp. He kept on pointing at me and going, that's the shape. That's what we want. That's what we want. And okay. And then like between camps, he calls me and he's like, Hey man, uh, first of all, what that does to you, right? You're 15 years old. You're getting a call from Robert Smith <laughs> at your house. <laughs> back when that was a thing a house phone and uh like uh everything going well good great 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 um you got your music memorized yes sir okay cool well check it out um you're gonna get some new parts in the mail in a couple of days uh you're clearly the strongest player in the, in the section we're gonna make you the lead baritone uh so make sure you got those parts ready for the next and i can't tell you what that did to me like i, I my whole world changed and then that next camp was when they named me the horn captain and despite of the fact that there were age outs all over the place and i was 15 16 my whole People that know me now, if you describe them who I was in 20 at, at 14, 15, they would never believe you because I was an introvert. I was scared of my own shadow. Um, I didn't speak unless spoken to. Um, and then Robert, his belief in me, he didn't, like I said this in his, in his eulogy the other day, he never saw people for what you are. He saw you for what you were going to be. And Robert put that hook in me with that. And it was, you're the horn captain. You're the lead player. We're following you. And uh, there was no option to fail. It was, this is what you're going to be. And I was, and I did it because of him. And it, it changed my world. Like everything about what I am now, like when I talk, when I teach young students, they go, well, that's easy for you because you're this. And that. No, 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 no. I wasn't that. I'm this way because somebody taught me to be this way. And that's why I'm doing it because I can't pay him. I'm going to pay it back to him by making you this way. And that's, that was his gravity. That's who he was for so many people. You see on Facebook last week, all the thousands of testimonials, of people saying stories like what I just said, where I, he believed in me before I did. He knew what I was before I had any idea. Like people that are in completely different career fields and they started off in because Robert told them they could. Yeah. That yeah. was who he was. I still say uh, one of the things that I, um, I'll just say it. I feel like I'm really good at it. My, at my job is I'm really good at teaching by analogy. And I learned every bit of that from Robert W. Smith, 100%, like no one else. Um, the one thing that I, that I remember the most about Robert um, was he could put you anywhere in the world at any second just by a sentence or two, like the way he could describe musical moments that he wanted or emotions that he wanted the crowd to feel or anything at all. He literally was the king of analogies to where you're like, I'm standing in Paris with some coffee and a beignet, right? Like, like, like he has, like he can put you on Jupiter. He can put you in a crowded train. He like he literally by his words could put you in the audience really, but especially you, he could put you anywhere at any time. And like the way he could teach kids how to make phrases or sounds or effects or whatever it was was absolutely amazing. That's probably what I remember the most about being around Robert when he was teaching, not the outside fun Robert and all that stuff, but his teaching was so like to the point, like he could, again, I keep saying it. 
He could put you anywhere in the world in seconds, just by the way he would talk to you. And he made you want to feel about the music the way he felt about it. He made you want to express all of those emotions and all of those ideas and all of the stories, the way he said it to you, he made it matter so much to you that you gave everything you had to emote all of those things when you performed. Like you wanted, there was no amount of effort you were not willing to give uh, for him. And, and I yeah. think that was one of his superpowers. Like he, he was like a real life Dr. Xavier. He could control your thoughts. Oh, absolutely. And he, it wasn't his music. It was our music. You know, you're right, Paris. Like some some of the stuff that that Magic did was his. Some of it was other stuff that he arranged. But like, it was never in that time. It was never his music. It was like what you were producing to the audience. It had nothing to do with who the arranger or who the actual composer was. It was our music that we're giving to these people. And I think he did that in concert band too. We just happened to see, you know, a lot of it in in the the drum corps that we were all a part of. I, I did. I had him in a couple of years ago. We were my um, symphonic band was playing the Inferno, and um, I told them one day I was like, "Hey, I'm going to call Robert W. Smith and get him to zoom in to one of our classes." And the kids were like, "Oh yeah, right. You don't know Robert W. Smith." I was like. No, really, I'll, I'll know, I know him. Like, I'll call him. He'll probably come in. And so he did. He zoomed in, and we spent 30, 45 minutes, maybe longer, with him on, on the TV um, and us playing through, and we'd stop. He'd tell the oboe player to do this, and he'd do this or whatever. And the same thing. When we were done, the kids were super excited, but somebody said, I felt like he was in the room with us. Like, I didn't – feel like he was on the TV. I felt like he was literally holding a stick, you know, a, a baton in front of us and that like we could have shook his hand. I was like, that's who he is. That's who he is. Yeah, I I saw him do that sort of thing so many times, you know, working with him through the publishing company. Like, and he didn't have to be a good friend like Trey. Like, it could have been just a band director in Iowa that, called, that sent an email and asked, like the number of times that turned into what he did when all they were asking was, Hey, is, uh, what was the origins of the song? And then instead of writing back an email, he'd set up a zoom call and he would come into their rehearsal and, and talk to him. And, and I was always impressed by, he, he wanted to make sure that he wasn't just there to bloviate about his music. It was how honored he was that you all are playing it and how honored he was that you're enjoying it. And be sure to tell them your band director is my hero those are the most important people in the world and your bander and to make sure they kid those kids look at their banders like, wow, you know, like he always had, that was one of the most amazing things about him. You all know as well as I do, even, even Tim, you know, the number of plates that guy's spinning at any one time, like there's like, I'm a business, I'm his business partner. And I had no idea everything that was going on at any one time. Susan even said, I was shocked to hear this. And she goes, there's some things I'm finding. I didn't know he was doing like all this stuff, but he still never made anyone feel like he was too busy for him. He always had time for stuff like that, for Zoom calls, for in-person. I could watch him drive hours of the time to go to other little high schools and go into their classrooms. Um, you know, you ever tried to walk through a drum course show with him or through uh, Midwest? Like, the number of people that are just – and he had – he didn't have time. I, he made time for them. Like, I, I, would, I would make that joke. Me and Susan would make the joke, like, 
you have no idea what it's like trying to get this dude from point A to point B around there. Um, we have to leave. It's just right there. Yeah, but we got to go now. Like, but, but I mean, I can see it. Yeah, but we got to go now yeah, because everybody was going to stop and he was going to make time for them and tell them how much he appreciated them coming to say hi. Yeah. Yeah. What was the thing he used to always say? People will forget what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Yep, 100%. I remember him saying that over and over and over. Greg, you're quiet. No, I was just thinking the last time I saw him in person um, was at Florida Music Educators um, Convention last last year. And um, I just went over, they, um, Plant was playing a concert and Robert was there for it. And uh, <clears throat> we just had a few minutes together, but we, it was like I had seen him the day before that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it didn't matter that I hadn't seen him in a while. It was like he and I had just spoken the day before, and we both were, it was, we were on to talking about families immediately, and he was asking about my granddaughter, and, you know, we were, and my daughter, and, you know, oh, well, I'm going to be down in, you know, Orlando in March, you know, you need to bring Scotty over. I mean, it was like I saw him the day before, you know, and so it just goes to how genuine he was, and again, how smart he was um, that he could that, you know, he just had a, he had a memory like a steel trap, you know, but genuinely interested in people and, and remembered lots of things about people that he met. So I think that's one of the things that just made him real authentic. Um, <clears throat> Paris, can you confirm this is true? I, I see distinctly remember, cause I thought this was one of the most interesting things I ever heard about Robert. Um, one year when we were on tour, I can't remember if it was 94, 95, and I don't know, and maybe we might need Sue or someone to, but he once told us that he transposed through the trumpet, that since he was a trumpet player, that he heard, he has perfect pitch, of course, right? But that when he heard things, he still took it through the trumpet to get it to where he wanted for other instruments. Do you happen to, did he ever mention anything like that to you? I, he never said that to me. No, I never heard that. I just remember sitting in the, in the front seat of the Suburban thinking to myself, dude, really? You know, because, you know, perfect pitch. You're clearly a musical genius, but you're not going on concerts at pitch. You're like taking the piano through the trumpet to arrange your, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because that's how he related right. everything. And I was like, yeah. I just remember sitting in the front seat of the Suburban going, I can't believe he just, I, I was like, I can't believe that. I'm, I think I was driving and he was riding in the passenger seat because yeah. Robert would drive after the show. And then he'd look at you and go, all right, Basham, you're up. I'm sleepy. <laughs> or because he wanted to write. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you get his little, get that little keyboard out. Remember when he used to have that little tiny keyboard? Mm -hmm. You'd be like, you're writing tunes on that. Yeah, man, I wrote the Divine Comedy on this. Oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> you got to be kidding me, Robert. But in the 90s, yep. man, that was state of the art. <laughs> yeah. That little, that little conversion van he had. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The van, yeah. That was, that was even better. Riding in style. That was the other thing is, you know, he would get, he would he would get what he needed in order to go to work. So, you know, one year it was the conversion van and then it was the Winnebago. But then, you know, in to Tim to Trey's point, he would invite people to come like, okay, you guys come and ride on it with me. Uh, you know, he spread it around so that it wasn't like mm -hmm. you know, he who needed rest or who needed a staff meeting? Like if you, you figured if well, if I'm gonna be on here, I'm gonna get the what for about what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. <laughs> oh yeah, drum yeah. corps tour got way better, man, when he bought the R V. You know, when he was when he was on the road, I was like, "That bus stuff is for the youngins, man. I'm riding on the, I'm riding on the, yeah. the bus. Let's go." Yeah. <laughs> well, he said to me the last time, he's like, "Yeah, I got to do hotels now." I'm like, "Yeah, Robert, I'm I'm done with the riding on buses, buddy." 
you know, I'm 10 years younger than you and I don't want to get on a bus. So, you know, I, to con I can confirm your Tempany story because I saw him do that at Magic a couple of times. Um, so that's 100% a true story. And, and what's wild is like, you know, you mentioned Frank Williams told a story the other day about when he his first time meeting Robert and he tried to run away because Robert was such a big, scary guy at the time. You know, and you see him now, you know, in his later years, and you could still see remnants of that. Like you could still see the shoulders like that without using me. But, you know, he got, you know, gray. and he's, But I'm telling you, until – the, the Sunday before he went into surgery, I was I spent that weekend with him, and I, I was in. We shook hands goodbye. His hand is still, yeah. like a moose hoof. Like he's got, he had thick, sturdy hands. Like he felt like, and I'm a bodybuilder myself, and I just felt, I genuinely felt like if this man, if this 64 year old man wanted to crush me to my knees right now, he could do it. <laughs> he was just a, he was different, man. He was just different. Yeah. Yeah. Are you well, a bodybuilder he because he inspires you to be one? Um, you know, I, I had this conversation the other day with somebody. It's, like, it's amazing to me in retrospect how many things that I do that I didn't, I don't think I ever consciously thought of it about being about him, but like I had modeled so much of my life after him. Uh, what I do know is my, so I played football growing up, but I was always, I was a quarterback. I didn't have to be big or whatever. Um, and I wrestled, but I wrestled a little weight class. I am actually one of the few people that I got bigger marching drum corps. You know, because I was a skinny little 145 pound kid, and I but I was playing euphonium, man, and my my shoulders started getting bigger, and then uh, and then I think there was that association that because he because I remember I remember having some conversations with him about it, like him. I'm, there's stuff stuff. I'll be in the gym now, and I'll go. Oh, I remember Robert one time said that how he does this thing, and so I'd go do that. And, and um, so there may be like like I was saying the the other day, I was in class this past week, sitting there with my beginning brass players, and I'm teaching something and it'll something that I have said a thousand times over the last 30 years. And in that moment, that was Robert. That's Robert talking through me. Like that's where that came from. And it never occurred to me that I'd been doing that. And then that, that's, that opened up this dialogue to how many other things. And then I started looking at even the way I live my life, the multi, like I, I, I'm a very diverse career. Like I have, I've got multiple income streams. I'm doing something different all the time. And you know, and, and I enjoy all of it. I, and I'm like, that was Robert. Like, that's a guy that worked, like we talked about the 20 plates at a time. And yet you never got the sense that it was at the sacrifice of his family or of, or, or his friends or uh, personal time. He he was still a person that found enjoyment in all of it. And I I definitely don't do as much as he did, but I, I feel like, so yeah, I think maybe so. Like that may be one of those other things that just not meaning to, just in the way I was modeling myself after him, that that just kind of happened. And then because I played sports, because I wasn't the child genius like him. I wasn't a professional band director at 19 years old. I had more time to develop habits. And so my, my workout habits maintained throughout my life where he had other things going on, but that probably did have a big part of how it started. It seems like everybody's talking about this same kind of thing. Like I had a conversation with Michael Rayford today about Robert and he said the same thing. Like, like, this, the model that he had as a, as a young designer, instructor, you know, he taught him how to be generous and collaborate. And like, like he was such a model for so many people. It, that's really imp impressive. Well, Tim, I think the other thing is, is so <clears throat> I try to tell, I tell Robert or Frank or my, 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 John Fulton, who I think is someone that you'll talk to, um, who was my band director my freshman year in, in high school, 
you know, and I only had Mr. Fulton for one year, but what there are, and I said this on my Facebook, there are indelible things that these gentlemen all um, placed on all of us. And so I don't think about it consciously until I'm talking to John or till I talk to Robert or I see Frank. And as I get to be this age, when I see them, I try to tell them how much they of a positive impact they had on my life because I think it's important. And I know for a fact, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I've been able to do that I would, that I would not have done if it hadn't been for these pebbles that these gentlemen threw into me that have caused ripples over the course of my life. And so um, they, there are things on a daily basis as I, you know, I don't teach music every day anymore, the way Paris and Trey do, you know, I, I do it when people invite me or when I'm at a rehearsal or my poor new um, band director at my school, his principal just shows up to rehearsal. And before you know it, I'm out there talking and teaching, right. Which he gets a bang out of, thankfully. And so, but Though there are things that I use on a daily basis that are things that are transferable and precisely the reason, one of the reasons why I went into being a a school leader was because there was these things I was going to my band program that I went, you know, what can I do that across a whole school? And so all these things that we talk about, like, you know, trying to give, trying to inspire people to do things, but then at the same time, give them the room to do it in their own way, but be there as a support right? Um, that is something that sometimes frustrates some of my colleagues because it'd be like, well, why don't you just go tell him to, and I'll go, because you, he's a grown man. You can't make him do stuff, but you certainly can, you know, try to steer and inspire and plant a seed and all those things. Um, and so that's, I, I, again, I go back to, you know, that's the real power of a lot of teachers, but in Robert's case, you know, he, he had a, lar- a little bit larger, well, not a little bit, a lot larger platform than a lot of us, but he didn't, he didn't walk through life like he had a larger platform. And I think that's the thing that's most appreciative about who he was. He was just genuine with you for the moment that you were standing there. And he was focused on you, which is uh, a real superpower because um, it's interesting. I, I got to see the mayor of um, the former mayor of Tampa the other day, Pam Iorio, and she came up to me and started talking to me. And the whole time she was talking to me, it didn't matter what else was going on. It was about me and her. Um, I once had a chance to stand in front of um, former president Bill Clinton and talk to him for a few minutes. And that very same thing, like when we were talking, regardless of everything else that was going on around you, his presence was focused there and you felt like you were the most important thing in the entire planet. Robert had that same ability. Um, and, you know, and, and he used it in a very genuine way. So. Oh yeah. I mean, even back when we were in college, you know, uh, Greg and I, we would go to Midwest and we walk into this massive convention center. But of course that was back when it was, at, I guess the Hilton, maybe um, mm-hmm. there's, like, like Paris said, there's people everywhere. And, you know, we walk up in our suits like we're like something big or whatever in college. We don't have a clue what we're doing. You know, and immediately Robert's like, the boys, the boys are here. Come here, guys, whatever. And we, you know, we'd stand and chat and be like, hey, we're going to catch 22 tonight, blah, blah, blah. And tomorrow night's we're going to go here make sure you guys in. Let's like, I mean, there were all these people 
people that I'm sure that he has business stuff with, everybody. And here's two, you know, 22, 23-year-old guys walking up, you know, and he's like stopping what he's doing um, to do that. And even when we were at camps, Rob or Paris, I can't tell you how many times when you were standing in the Horn Ark that we were sitting at the barbecue place in Haines City because he, <laughs> it was every day. Hey, boys, Boy, we going to bar? Yeah, yeah. And, he, you know, of course, he would pull up. Of course, a, a couple times it was Don Taylor, but pull up in the Horn Ark, sitting there playing their Gs over and over, just barely roll that window down, air conditioning going full blast. <laughs> you got 45 minutes i'll be back when you get done with with technique and we go sit and eat and he would sit and chat you know and and talk to us like you know we were his best buddies ever you know yeah equals and then ride back and sit in front of the horn line it's 100 degrees they're standing on the asphalt don taylor still playing a g has been for the last 45 (laughs) minutes you know and, you know, Robert will roll that down just enough to where you can hear the G, but the air conditioner is still, like Greg, nobody can see us on this, but we can see each other. His hair flying up, you know, in the suburban or whatever with that T. And, Don, you got about three more minutes. I'll be back. No, but, again, could have easily have just, you know, looked at us as two college boys um, mm-hmm. and never did. If, if you ever wanted to feel good about yourself, all you had to do was be talking to him when somebody else came up and let him introduce you. And he starts describing yep. you, and you're like, dang, I guess yeah. that is me. <laughs> yep. I guess I did do all those things. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was always just so proud of all, his, all of his guys, man. Well... Paris, listen, I'll say it because I told Tim this. I told Tim that I was like, you know, I was like, I, I, you know, I think a podcast about Robert would be um, appropriate and needed and we won't have a hard time. Like, I think at at one point we started going, okay, how are we possibly going to get all people? But um, I just, you know, I, I, we, I, I know that, and I think you know this, that he is very proud of you. And so um, I felt like you, you know, obviously needed to be a part of um, certainly folks who um, had a chance to come in and share about Robert. I mean, I know he's influenced a lot of people and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Kevin Ford, um, uh, Michael Rayford, work, Carl Lowe, John Kim, like you can, there's a long list, but I, you know, I just know from conversations that I had with him that he was very proud of you and um, enjoyed um, that you were a part of his life. So. I, I will say that's been one of the um, – it's been a weird experience for me for this last week because I'm so, like, I'm so terrified of anything, like, making anything about me. Like, I don't yep. – this is this is all supposed to be about him. But at the same time, I understand that my story is about him, yep. you know. Um, but it, I was deeply moved by how many people – like, I, I knew how close me and Robert were, and that was, like, our little world. But I didn't realize um, – the word association, like when people, when, when people thought Robert W. Smith, I did not realize how quickly my name came up. Um, I I had no idea. And that's been very evident over the last week and been very moving. Um, And I had one of the other band directors here at the school where I'm at that said, does that make you mad? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, well, that everybody just assumes that you got where you are because of him. I said, 
that's what I mean, that's the ch- that's the truth. And no, it doesn't make me mad. Uh, I it makes me grateful. Um, well, in Paris, as a as a person outside of your relationship with him, I don't see it that way. You know what I'm saying? But maybe it's because we've all he's influenced all of us, and so we probably feel the same way you do. There are absolutely things that I've used and done and learned from him that have allowed my band to play better, allowed my kids to learn more, have uh, allowed um, us to have greater musical moments. And, and, you know, like I said, I absolutely would not have doctor in front of my name if it wasn't for some of those things that these gentlemen planted in me along the way. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't make me mad. It makes me thankful and and grateful. And and one of the things that I've said a lot in the last week was, Robert was always more concerned with the people he felt responsible for. And that circle is really big. Like the number of people he considered for like the entire band director community, like his music was never about him. It was, his music was about what could it do for the world? What could it do for music education? What more can I, it was, it blew my mind how many times we had the conversation. What's next? What more can I be doing for the music education community. What, I'm like, what more do you need to do, brother? But that was what he always was worried about. It was never about what he could do for himself. It was what does the world need and how can we help, you know? Um, yeah. His friends, his people always, and with no sense of irony, like he worked himself to death and then would be worried about how much you're working. Yeah, yeah. You know? You know, and again, you know, when you think about it, it was interesting to listen. You probably have better stories because you spent some time at Troy, but listening to him talk about Mr. Long, his band director, you know, and the influence oh, that yeah. Long had. Like, you could, you could tell, you, all you do is spend a couple minutes with Robert and see Mr. Long walk in the room. And to your point about just the way he starts to talk about people, you know what I'm saying? Like, you could just tell that, you know, that, and I think that probably is part of why, you know, he wanted to pay things forward. You know, he just, just a genuinely good guy. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, he got a lot of that from Dr. Long. Like I, I was fortunate. My first year at Troy was Robert's first year, but Dr. Long was still around. Like he, he would still come and conduct on the concerts and stuff. And we got to hear him talk a lot. And that's how he was. Like when I'll never forget the first time I ever met him. And he's like, Lord God, uh, Robert shared your audition video. You're the best dang euphonium player I ever heard, whatever. And then like, I was like, Oh, well, and then like, over the course of the next couple of years, I was like, oh, you're the best trumpet player I've ever seen. And you're the, that band is the greatest band ever. And you've done the best job at that school. And we're, like, he was just that guy. And so that was, you know, you could see when I, when I saw when I got to know Dr. Long, I was like, oh, I can see where, okay, this is where this started. This is, you know, this is that seed, you know, and Robert was very impressionable in college. You remember he started going there when he was like 16, yeah. you know, so it was so a, guy, a guy like Dr. Long was going to have a lot more effect on him than a normal college kid who's coming in at 18, 19 you know, um, so yeah, yeah, I got to see that firsthand. That's who we are now. I mean, like I said, I mean, I said something today in our rehearsal today. I did some analogy. I don't know what it was like, and I kind of finished it. I was like, Robert would have liked that one, like that. You know, again, I kind of, you know, we we all, you know, kind of like I said. I, that's kind of how I teach almost everything I do now is by analogy, um, and I didn't really realize it until. You know, I don't know, several, five, six, seven years ago, my staff people were like, man, you are like, you're really good at teaching by analogy. I was like, I, Robert W. Smith, like, that's why. Like, I, I spent enough time with him and watched him. You know, I, I, I say all the time, most of my education came from 
what I learned from Frank uh, and some people at Cadets, uh, and then being on tour at Magic uh, and watching Robert and some of those people work um, and what we do now uh, has definitely carved and, and you know, made, made my future as, as a band director. You know, I learned that education was luckily was free. Well, not cadets had to pay to March, but you know, being, <laughs> being at magic, you know, it was like watching him teach and, you know, and the people that he was able to bring around, you know, Michael Rayford and Carl Lowe and, you know, John Campese and, and Dave Carbone and all these different people that were around, you know, it was like now has kind of shaped who we are because we were in that arena with them um, and not just teaching visual and then, you know, laying on our um, mattress all afternoon and then coming back. You, you kind of wanted to go see, like, all right, what's happening today with the horn line? What's, what's doing this? What's doing that? You know, so very – very much lucky to uh, watch him work and then take from that um, for our for my career. Let's go around and, and everybody just sort of say, let's give everybody, I'm going to give each of you a moment to say some final thing to sort of wrap this conversation up. I've really, really enjoyed hearing you talk about it and your personal experiences. And I appreciate how, how honest and personal it's been. Um, so, Greg, I'm just going to make you go first randomly. What would you like to say sort of as we're wrapping up the conversation? I don't think I can say it any better than I did um, after, you know, we heard of Robert's passing. And, you know, I, <clears throat> you know, you there, it's, it's going to, it's going to be hard to imagine not being able to see him or talk to him or any of those things. But the, the good news is, is that he, um, has had an opportunity to have genuine influence because of who he was and the vocation that he had and the fact that he made himself readily available to Paris's story before about, you know, someone sends you an email, just wants you to ask a question about a piece of music that you wrote. And then next thing you know, you're having a webinar with the guy and he's doing a 30 minutes with you and your kids. You know, um, I, the, the, the the song for good comes to mind and it's because I knew you the the bottom line is as I said earlier there are absolutely things in my life that I've done and been able to do that I would not have been able to do without his influence and his ability to make you believe that you could do it when everything else might be telling you that you can't that you could do it and then because he had a way of looking into your soul and talking to you. You did not want to disappoint him. Um, he came to, I wrote drill for when I, when I, when I stopped being the band director at Newsom, um, Robert, the next band director had Robert arrange a couple shows for Newsom. And so I wrote drill. And so Robert and I talked on the phone. I'm like, what is it? You know? And so he and I are collaborating on what his vision is. Well, then they had him come to rehearsal. And I went to that rehearsal that day. And there I was, 40-some-odd years old, standing in the middle of the field with Robert telling me what to fix. And it took me right back to 1994 <laughs> because there I became – I'm the drill writer, but I became the visual tech. And I was happy to do it because I wanted to make sure that what his vision was for what was the story that was supposed to be being told was going to come to fruition, Right. 
And so, and I just remember, and my, I went home, my wife was like, well, how was Robert? I was like, I felt like I was 23 again, <laughs> you know? And, but I, you know, it, it, I, I wouldn't trade any of those experiences for anything because they've had a profound effect over me. So. It's great. Thank me. you. Yeah. Trey, how about you? What would you like to say in closing? It's not fair that Greg got to go first because he like took everything that me and Paris want to say about Robert. <laughs> um, but I would simply say, you know, that Robert was definitely what I would call one of the good guys. And he had every reason to not be if he wanted to. He was a genius. Um, he had, uh, you know, a publishing company. He wrote music. He did this. He did this. He, he had every reason to worry about just himself um, and keep it all to himself. And he was the exact opposite where, as Paris said, a while back, I mean, he gave and gave and gave and gave. And when he got done giving, he wanted to know what he could give again uh, to do, you know, to do better for whatever company or whatever band or whatever drum corps. Um, and he had every reason to just sit at home and go, hey, I'm really smart. Hey, I'm a great music writer. Hey, I, I've done all these things. Look at what I've done. And that was really the last thing, you know, on his mind. It was always... Um, who's next? How can I help? What can we do? Um, and I think, you know, we've talked a lot tonight of, of the things that he impacted us, but that's for me, that's kind of how I think of Robert is he just, he was one of the good guys and didn't have to be if he didn't want to, but he always chose that side and he made people feel invincible. Um, and made them feel like that they mattered and made them feel like that they were good enough even if they've never written drill before and they're now got two days to make something. I mean, he just, he, he had that ability um, to empower people. Um, and that's, that's the way I remember him. That's great. Okay. Paris final thoughts for this conversation. So there's a book called 20 feet from stardom. And uh, it's basically a, a background singer writing about her career being behind all these superstars and being part of all that, but never actually being the star. And in a way, that's kind of how I felt like my life has been, you know, what following Robert and always 20 feet behind. But, and from that view, it's just so amazing that you see, and I have a very unique perspective on the man and, and everything that he did and why he did it and how he did it. And, you know, like I said, I inadvertently ended up shaping my life. Um, but I, I'll tell you the, the thing that I never lost sight of, was what mattered most to him after his family. Obviously, Susan, Savannah, Madison, that was one and there was no one A. Like, there's no two, there's no three, there's no four. So five, and number five was, and I always say legacy because I don't have a better word for it, but legacy was so important to him. But it wasn't legacy like, look at me. It was, but what am I doing for the world? What am I leaving behind? What am I creating? And he was always worried. And it was never more evident than during COVID. If you remember the work he did during COVID to try so hard to, to shake all the band directors up the, and the music publishers and the music stores and everybody wake them up. Hey, this is going to, you're going to, there's people that don't want to support us and you're this, this is going to give them an excuse not to. Here's how we stay relevant. 
and he was literally giving it away. He made no money on any of those things, those marching band products that he was, that, those uh, things he was doing varsity. Uh, we were literally giving away licenses from the publishing company to people. Please broadcast all you want. Like, we don't want your money. We want your program to survive. And that was just who he was. And it was the most important thing in the world to him. And he was always worried that he wasn't doing enough. And one of the things that I have taken so much personal peace in since his passing was he had, I don't think he ever really understood the impact he had. I didn't even really understand until, again, you hear the other eulogies the other day, you see the Facebook posts, you see the people that showed up, people flew, flew from Germany, like this, and the, the words that poured out. And the, and the most important things that would have been to him would not have been the people praising his accolades over his music and praising his his what he did in drum corps and bands of America and all that kind of stuff. That was all great. What, what mattered the most to him was the number of people that said, I am who I am. I have what I have. I'm doing what I'm doing because that man told me I could believed in me, steered me, created the opportunity. That's one that gets overlooked a lot. How many times he personally created the opportunity. I am a living, walking, breathing example of that. Like would probably not be walking the streets as a free man today, if alive at all, had I not ever come into contact with that man. And as it stands, I have a great life. And every inch of it I owe to him, and I am not unique in that way. And I think that that's probably the, the thing that Robert would be most proud of, is to see how many people that story sounds like. You know, there wasn't just Paris Foreman. There were thousands of us. Yeah, that's fantastic. Very well said. Well, Greg and Trey, Paris, thank you so much for taking this time to share and and uh, have this, these remembrances about this great man. And it's it's wonderful to be reminded. And I'm inspired by hearing you guys talk about how you were inspired. You know what I mean? Like it, all of this conversation makes me want to be a better person. And I'm sitting here thinking, what more can I do? You know, and, and so that's there's the influence just rippling. So it's very, very cool. Thank you so much for talking with me tonight. Privilege to be here. Absolutely.